Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast. We make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and today I'm playing a Gibson Les Paul. Fancy. And I'm Jesse, and I'm playing a custom Fender Strat. Boo. <laughs> We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes Fast to chat about a theological topic God and renew our minds with the good stuff. things of Christ. Fast God Stuff. All right, Conrad. What? What's on tap today? Well, today we're going over Weird Weird Stories in the Bible, Bible, part two. Two, three, four. Weird Stories in the Bible. Weird Stories in the Bible. Some are so So here we are, uh, back at it again, round two, round with two. strange stories from the Bible. Part two. <laughs> so, every word in scripture is the word of God, right? Right. Even the weird parts that are confusing to us. For sure. So, using proper biblical interpretation helps us find the meaning and the purpose of these word passages in order for us to be able to understand God better and his will for us, which is ultimately to... Love God and others more. And since we know that the Bible is the truth, that it accurately reflects God's relationship with man and man himself, we mm-hmm. should expect that there's going to be some crazy things in there. Maybe just some downright funny things mm-hmm. because man that's is crazy. who we are as <laughs> yeah. people. Exactly. Yeah. So we should expect to see those things in the pages sometimes. Yeah, right. So what's one of the weird stories in the Bible that you're thinking of? Well, there's this one passage in Judges. So Old Testament Israel, that's really crazy to me. And it's always been one of my favorite stories in the Bible ever since I was a kid, because basically I'm a 12-year-old forever. (laughs) (laughs) There's intrigue, there's killing, there's poop. (laughs) (laughs) What else would you want? (laughs) Exactly. As a a 10-year-old kid, what else would you want out of a Bible passage? So today we'll be telling the weird story of... From judges. Is that a proper setup? So dramatic. But before we get into it, we have to give a little bit of background of where we're at in the Bible. So in ancient Israel, after Moses got the Israelites out of Egypt, and after Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, there was this time of the judges. They were supposed to go into Canaan and get rid of all the other inhabitants, but they didn't do so. Right. And then so those peoples became a thorn into the Israelite side, causing them to go into idolatry. That was one thing. And the other thing was just they were just always at war with him. Well, you know what that means. What? It's time, kiddos, to gather around and hear a story from Mr. Conrad about the story of Judge Ehud. In the Old Testament, during the time of the Judges, the Israelites again turned to idolatry. What are you doing? So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the fat king of Moab, against Israel. And King Eglon said, I, King Eglon, invite the, ooh, donuts, invite the Ammonites and the Malachites, delicious, to come and join me in attacking Israel. Pass me the donuts. This alliance attacked Israel and took possession of the city of Jericho. 
where King Eglon took residence and reigned over that section of Israel for 18 long years. The Israelites, after years of idolatry, finally realized that their idols could not save them. So they cried out to the Lord. Would God answer their prayers? Would God stay true to his covenant with his people? Would he? What happened? Well then, God raised a deliverer from the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, Ben. A left-handed man. And his name was... Ehud! Ehud went on a daring secret mission to somehow overthrow the oppressors. But what was that plan? What was it? So the Israelites sent Ehud with a delegation carrying their taxes and tribute to King Eglon. And now Ehud had made a double-edged sword and concealed it under his clothing. And this is where left-handed becomes important. As Ehud and his delegation approached the king, would his sword be detected? Would they find it? Nay, they did not find it. <laughs> because he was left-handed. Sneaky. They checked the wrong side. So Ehud, with sword at his side, approached the king. But was now the time to act? Nay. How would they escape as they were deep inside the heart of the enemy territory? No, phase one was reconnaissance. Now Ehud knew the layout of the place, how many guards there were, and how close he could get to the king with his sword. So they actually left the palace once the delegation was out of reach of the Moabites. Phase two, action. <laughs> Phase two was action. Just <laughs> that's that's a terrible code, code name. Action. <laughs> Phase two, where do we do stuff. <laughs> so Ehud, all by himself, entered the city and entered the palace. The guards were like, well, wasn't this a nice, polite Jewish ambassador who'd recently just paid a bunch of taxes without incident? They didn't know that step too. If only they knew the code name. <laughs> <laughs> so Ehud gained it on it with the king in the throne room and leaned in over to Eglon and said, King Eglon, I have something secret to tell you. Mm. He raised his eyebrows a little bit. And then King Eglon was like, Ooh, that sounds scandalous. Like a deep fried Twinkie. <laughs> Everyone, leave us. So all the servants and guards left. And then Eglon brought Ehud to the back upper private room. And that's when Ehud approached the king and said, I have a message from God for you. Ehud is Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> <laughs> See, he's an action hero. So he said, I have a message from God for you. Now he's Russian? <laughs> <laughs> you try one. I got a message for you from God. <laughs> like an Italian mob hit. Yeah, like he's making pizza. <laughs> it's me, Mario. <laughs> I got a message from God for you. <laughs> Or Irish mob. I've got a message from God for you. It's magically delicious. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. We're horrible at accents. Scottish. I've got a message from God for you. 
It doesn't sound nearly as threatening, though. With the Russian mob. I've got the missing from God for you. And now we dance. Babushka. It's the most culturally insensitive <laughs> podcast we've ever done. So Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. In a generic Jewish accent. Which I can't do. <laughs> and at that point, Eglon came closer. What is this secret message from God? And that's when Ehud took out the hidden sword, raised it on high, and thrust it into the belly of the fat king. And the sword went all the way into his belly, and the fat closed in around it. And Ehud left the sword in King Eglon. I don't want that bad. It's gross now. It's got fat all over it. Eglon said with his dying breath, I thought you had a message from God for me, or at least a cupcake. Oh, the message was the sword. The message was the sword. (laughs) 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 And at that point, do you know what happened? What? There was a crucial detail that the Bible puts in. Critical to the story, right? Yes, critical to all of biblical interpretation. Yes. And I quote And the dung came out. It's everywhere! (laughs) So after he was stabbed, his (laughs) King Eglon pooped himself. But just to make sure that we're being biblically accurate, let's go to other translations of this passage. We really should cross-reference. Right. Because that is what serious theologians do. So let's hear this verse in a couple of different translations, please. So the New International Version, the NIV says, And his bowels discharged. (laughs) (laughs) So polite, that NIV. The New Living Translation says, And the king's bowels emptied. (laughs) New American Standard Bible is being a little bit more polite. And the refuse came out. <laughs> the refuse. These are things you would never say when you poop. <laughs> no. Guess what the King James Bible says? The poop is cometh. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> That's the best one. It should be that. Unfortunately, it's not. The King James Bible translation says, And the dirt came out. The dirt? <laughs> the dirt. Wow. Say that at your next doctor's appointment. How's everything going? My dirt's coming out just great. I can't dirt. There's no dirt. <laughs> this is so gone off the rails. <laughs> it's important to biblical interpretation. That's true. Sorry. Biblical fidelity, people. So, back to the story. Ehud was standing over King Eglon, 80s action style, and says, You look pooped. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's now Schwarzenegger. Yeah. I won't be back. You're the party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> so it was at this point that Ehud, avoiding the poop, locked the doors behind him and made his escape through the balcony porch. And when the servants came for the rounds, they found the doors of the upper room locked. And they actually thought the king was pooping. The Bible actually says... Surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. (laughs) 
So, something about I love the Bible. Something about that description is the best description of a bathroom I've ever heard. Yeah. Do you not want to be relieving yourself in a cool chamber? In in the closet of the cool chamber. The closet. Well, other cool uh, other nations call the bathroom water, water closet. closet. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? They would have smelled poop too. So it wouldn't have just been like, well, he's probably pooping. True. I'm not going in there. You smell that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe he's dropping a deuce. Maybe he's dropping bombs. Maybe he's dropping off the ammonites at the pool. <laughs> this is our last podcast. <laughs> he's laying a loaf. He's baking brownies. <laughs> he, he's building a log cabin. I've never heard that. <laughs> Can you imagine the the servants would have probably actually have been doing this because you know they don't like. You think they probably don't like the king? They you know you know how servants are and you know just like employees no, are always. No, making, I don't know how servants <laughs> are. <laughs> <laughs> employees are making fun of the boss behind their back, and the, you know they're probably giggling amongst themselves like, "Oh, he must be trying to unloose the caboose." <laughs> I didn't even know any of these things existed. So it's from these very servants is where we get the modern tradition of making up funny slang terms for pooping. Oh, this is where it all started. Yes. Yes. Right here in, in this little passage. I had no idea. Now you know. Knowing's half the battle. Ehud. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bible actually says they waited to the point of embarrassment. So while they were waiting... Ehud waltzed right out of there. It's brilliant. So finally, they figured out something was wrong, and they took a key and unlocked the doors. There they saw their king fall to the floor, dead. You know what else they saw? <laughs> it was everywhere! Not poop! <laughs> so Ehud escaped all the way back to Israelite territory, where... Ehud sounded a trumpet, Lord of the Rings style, signaling <laughs> that it was time to prepare for battle. <laughs> that was pretty good. Maybe. I thought you were going to make a butt trumpet reference. <laughs> no, I'm too mature for that. I do want to hear you do more trumpet sounds, though. That couldn't have been it. That was too short to, to gather an entire army of Israelites. Well, that's the same one, just longer. Oh. Dude, more melody. More melodious trumpet call yeah, for battle? Yeah, yeah, more. It's a weak battle cry, isn't it? And no one showed up. <laughs> yeah, do you think the Israelites are like, wait, did, did you hear smoke on the water? Get your sword! <laughs> So after this mighty trumpet call, he gathered the army and led them into battle. And that's when he said in a generic Jewish accent, Follow me, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. Ehud's army swept into battle, attacking from the west. The Moabite alliance put up a mighty resistance. But the power of the Lord could not be undone. The battle did not fail. <laughs> Okay, Sauron. <laughs> the battle did not fare well for the Moabite alliance. And when the alliance saw that all hope had faded, they enacted their escape plan to retreat back over the River Jordan and into their territories. But as they approached the crossing points, they noticed something odd, something that the Moabites did not intend. There were people at the crossing points. Was it Moabite reinforcements? Who was it? Ehud had outmaneuvered them. 
A contingent of Israelite warriors lay in wait. Fresh and rested troops lay between the Moabites and escape. Ehud had surrounded the oppressors of God's chosen people. So God raised Ehud not only to bring judgment upon King Eglon, but was going to deliver Israel by decimating the enemy's ability to wage war for generations. Ehud, who was sent by God, emerged victorious over the enemy. And on that day, the Lord delivered his people not just from the Moabites, but more importantly, from Israel's own idolatry, proving to this generation that idols cannot save anyone, but it is only the Lord in the end who can truly save us. The end. Major chords. So after hearing this crazy story, why do you think this account is in the Bible? Well, I find this passage could be relevant today because you know how Ehud concealed his weapon? Right. Well, obviously this passage is instructional for Christians today. And you know what it's instructing us? To carry concealed weapons. <laughs> exactly. This clearly. is clearly biblical support for us to get a carry concealed license. Right. <laughs> right. My bad. <laughs> so um, what hermeneutical mistake am I making there? Well, this is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage exactly. that gives us direction. Yeah. So sometimes the Bible is just giving you a historical account and it's not saying this is actually how you should be acting. Okay. So let's get into what this actually means. So the book of Judges shows this continuing cycle where Israel turns to idolatry. And this idolatry, in turn, brings about chastisement from God in order to bring them back. And he uses the form of some enemy to bring them back. Right. And so at this point, this makes Israelites understand that their idols basically are nothing. They're worth nothing and can't bring about their deliverance. And then they realize, oh, only God can do this. And then they, Israel ends up repenting. And then this is when God raises a deliverer and then delivers Israel. And then so the final product was Israel would worship God alone once more and until the cycle started again, mainly in a later generation. So Judges just goes through a bunch of cycles of this, of Israel rebelling and then repenting and then God uh, delivering them and then, then coming back to God. So what we have is this promise that God has made with the people, right? Mm -hmm. Through Moses. And they both agreed to do certain things. Yeah. And if they fell short of that commitment, the people said we're willing to be punished. Right. And that's what in fact God does. Mm -hmm. But rather than just leaving them and abandoning them, he continues to be faithful to his promise through Abraham to say, I'm going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. You're my chosen people. Right. And so he sends these deliverers, these many small saviors who come into right, Israel's right. history and deliver them from oppression as a type of Christ, as like an example of mm -hmm. there's one coming who's going to take care of everything. Right. And these guys are examples of that. All these temporary local deliverers can only do so much. Exactly. They can't save people from their sins. They can't save people from their idolatry ultimately. And just as Ehud was trying to rescue people from the physical oppression of mm -hmm. the Moabites, here comes Jesus who's going to rescue us from the spiritual oppression of sin and death. Right. And he will be the once and for all judge who can completely end this cycle of idolatry in our lives. Amen. So bottom line, what do we learn from stories like this and the era of the judges? We learn that the Lord will not fail to rescue and preserve his people when his people repent and cry out to him. So even though we, his people, can be faithless, 
God is faithful and will keep his promise to preserve his people. So we are promise breakers, but God will never break his promise with us. So this promise um, with Abraham was also reiterated to Jacob and, and where he says, I will not leave you, Genesis 28, 15. And so this covenantal pledge of God is with those who are in relationship with him is a key theme in scripture. And fast forwarding a bit in Galatians three twenty nine, it says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So this promise that God said to Abraham and the patriarchs and to Jacob is a promise to us as well. So when God says, I will basically not leave you or forsake you, it's something that actually applies to us as well, because we are also children of the promise. Right. The Israelite community was a community based on natural relationship that God had chosen through Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Romans, we've been grafted into that family. Mm -hmm. And so now we are a legitimate sons and daughters of the king. Right. And if we're sons and daughters of the king, then we should recognize that it's the king we want to worship because he's in control of all things. We mm -hmm. should be putting our faith in God and not in these petty idols that cannot do anything for us. Right. And we have to be able to identify what some of these idols are. And the best way to do that is with a song. Yes. That's why we wrote a special song for you. And this song is called Idols. idols. Oh, naughty. <laughs> Two, three, four. Idols are naughty, idols are bad. You better not worship them or you'll be sad. Idols are naughty, idols are bad. You better not worship them or you'll be sad. Your money and your house, your kids and your spouse. Naughty. <laughs> yeah, baby. Move over, Charles Wesley. <laughs> Fanny Crosby. <laughs> Someday when this is reprinted, it'll be like music by Jesse and Conrad, words by Charles Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Idols are naughty. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like that, just wait until the end of the podcast where you can get the full song. Or you can stop right here and cut your losses. <laughs> okay, so here's the application. Like the Israelites, we all have idols that we must identify and repent of. But a lot of times, idols are really hard to spot. Right. But there's this backwards way that you can kind of find out what your idols are. So just ask yourself this question. What upsets you in your everyday life? So, and here's an example. So here's the thing. If God's promises are true and that God uses all things, including trials and tribulations to make us more like Christ, then becoming more like Christ should be your ultimate goal, Right. Right. So, for example, let's say you get upset that you have an expensive car repair. Well, why are you upset? What are you actually caring about at that point? Well, those pain points can tell us where our hearts are, right? what we're focused on. And in that case, it might be money, exactly. might be convenience. That's exactly it. So at this point, you can ask yourself, would I rather have more money by not having this car expense or would I rather be like Christ? Right. So same thing with like a medical issue. Would I rather have bodily comfort or would I rather be more like Christ? Right. Would I rather not be lonely 
and by myself, or would I rather be more like Christ? Would I rather not have hit this red light, or do I want to be more like Christ? So instead of us being more Christ-like and expressing the fruit of the Spirit, we actually, a lot of times, we go deeper into valuing those idols. Okay, so Jesse, after the story of Israelites and Ehud, and after all our silly stuff, what have we actually learned today? So we've gone over that God's goal is to grow us to be like Christ. And we know that God grows us using trials and spiritual exercise to make us stronger like Christ. And when we don't want our faith to be exercised, it exposes what we really want, which is earthly comforts, more money, romance, or admiration from others. But like Israel, we must repent of our idolatry. So instead of getting upset that we're losing grip on our idols, we thank God that he is tearing us away from them so that we can instead grasp onto becoming more like Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you want to enjoy life, you must enjoy Christ. And to enjoy Christ, you must embrace your spiritual growth. And to embrace your spiritual growth, you must let go of your idols. And we can be sure that through this, just as in the time of the judges and the time of Christ, that God will be faithful to you because he is faithful to himself. God cannot break his covenant where he says throughout scripture all the way through Revelation, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. So, lose your idols, embrace your growth, your sanctification, embrace Christ, and you will have life and have it more abundantly, which means your life will be full of love. Loving God, loving others, that's it. Right on. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you unloose the caboose. (laughs) I had to go there. Until next time. Love God. Love others. That's it. And please welcome all the way from the UK, Conrad and Jesse, who have been setting the world on fire with their sassy dance moves and hit song, Idols Are Naughty.